You're listening to Dole Capital. On this episode of Dole Capital, you're with Ben for our occasional segment of Benno's Brief. I'll be talking to you about what's on my mind and hopefully it will either be entertaining, interesting or even motivating for all UK rattling tragics. So on this episode today, it's okay not to like Julia. I'll be looking at why it's totally okay not to like former Australian Prime Minister Julia Gillard. And Kevin Rudd, former Prime Minister for that matter. We don't have to like Julia Gillard's contributions to Australian politics when Prime Minister and Deputy Leader during Federal Labor's last stint from 2007 to 2013. I'll be talking a little bit about that. But first, Patreon. This show wouldn't be possible without our patrons and supporters. You can show your solidarity at www.patreon.com forward slash Doll Capital, that's D-O-H-K-A-P-I-T-A-L, if you'd like to uh, financially support the show. Or you could just please like, share and subscribe to our show and leave a review on your preferred podcast application. Thank you to our supporters who've helped us with our broadcast hosting fees and equipment. Your support helps motivate and resource us to make more content. Before we get going, we're recording this episode on Ngunnawal Land and pay our respects to their elders past, present and future, whose sovereignty was never ceded and who we express our solidarity with continuing struggles to end injustices for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. Now to the show. Former Prime Minister Julia Gillard and Kevin Rudd have been enjoying a bit of a rose-tinted nostalgia of late amongst many in the commentary. Comedian, comedian uh, slash journalist Jordan Shanks has had a number of critic-less chats with Rudd in recent years on his popular YouTube channel. We're not talking about Rudd today. Suffice to say, I'm not a big fan. The legacies of leaders, governments and political movements should be judged on the good and the bad for working people. Julie Gillard has become some sort of political martyr figure for Australia's smaller liberals. So much so, there has now been a world premiere in Canberra of the play Julia on the 23rd of March. I'll give you a bit of a feel for what you're in store for if you missed the special theatre production that uh, took place over at Canberra Theatre because it's now in theatres in Sydney all the way through to May. Uh, to give you an idea what you're in for, the play is meant to give you a um, intimate and compelling insight into a person behind the political mask, a reflection on the experience of women in contemporary politics combining genuine excerpts from Gillard's speech with Murray Smith's incredible dramatic imagination. This play is also a thrilling coming together of history and art. Around the world, we are seeing the most profound rollbacks to women's rights legislation in two generations. At the same time, there's been encouraging strides forward in the representation of women in positions of power, both at home and abroad. In this climate, Julia is a rousing and energising reminder of where we've come from and empowering and imagining the challenges we have to face. Well, yep, you can get along to that if you like. I certainly was not interested, and there's lots of reasons why. I'll give you a bit more of an idea of what happened. The um, In terms of the mainstreaming of this stuff, it's interesting. The ACT Teacher Quality Institute actually provided accreditation for uh, uh, teachers who attended the play for five hours. Um, very handy if you manage to get along to that if you're an educator. But along with a special event that was held for the opening, there was a, um, 
a big forum on breaking the bias, pathways to gender equity and leadership, and why women in politics matter. These things are all are all on the Canberra Theatre webpage, but they don't they're not there anymore. I couldn't find them anymore, so you'll have to check out the stuff from the Sydney production. But you're pretty easy to find. Look, what's wrong with all this? You ask. What's wrong, Ben? What's what's your problem with Julian? Well, as I alluded to before, and and alluded to in this uh, before in, in the special event, the blurb from it. Well, it's all about power. It's about power of those in power. It's not the power of ordinary working women, women that are poor, women that are marginalized, and women that are unheard. It's all about the power of women in the professional classes to be the boss, to be at the top of the table to make the big decisions, especially decisions that empower themselves and leave working people behind. Those are the things I think very feel very strongly and remember quite vividly from the legacy of Julia Gillard, Prime Minister. The second thing is that what was the we need to talk about what is the actual legacy of what Gillard and the Rudd provided uh, the majority of women during their time in office between 2007 and 2013. I think we need to be absolutely clear that Gillard's speech in 2012 was an excellent parliamentary intervention. It was an inspirational for many, and it did come at a time of heightened sexism and sexist tropes being marched out by the Murdoch's networks of corporate and state media activists. There was absolutely, and there is absolutely no argument, that the right in Australia's politics were at the time were a complete disgrace with their treatment of uh, a person in a position of, um, an important position of leadership and representation. That's fine. And I think it needs to be uh, remembered and called out, particularly the misogyny the speech is well worth listening to and it's quite enjoyable. I enjoyed it at the time. But what was the broader legacy? And this is where things fall down. We have to take the good with the bad. And I hate to say it, people, but there was plenty of things wrong with the legacy of the Rudd-Gillard years. On the very day that Gillard made her famous misogyny speech, Australia's Senate, our upper house, was debating her government's plans to cut single-parent benefit. What that included was cutting the uh, the benefit for tens of thousands of single mothers, many of them work, who were working part-time, who were shifted off parenting payments onto the unemployment benefit, New Start, which left them between $60 to $100 a week worse off, all to save a lousy $728 million over four years. Uh, we'll talk about that more, but I think it just screams hypocrisy in terms of what happened then and what continues that the legacy that we've uh, inherited in terms of how uh, poor people and people who uh, receive benefit uh, welfare benefits are treated in australia so when the rudd government let uh, swept into power in 2007 there was an expectation that there would be a structural that the um, structural inequality for women would be challenged the Rudd government that came in came in on a groundswell of optimism that in work, in education, in social support, there would be real serious changes that would actually benefit the majority of working people, in particular working women. I remember very unprecedented uh, ecstatic scenes of Julia Gillard being cheered into the building at the, her new mega department, the Department of Education, Employment and Workplace Relations. Back in 2008, I think it was, by the time they formed government, big things were promised, but the detail was very little in terms of what was achieved. 
for working women. Gillard was credited as one of the key architects of the Fair Work Act 2009. Yes, the Tories hated, the Liberals hated work choices legislation was replaced, a thoroughly repugnant piece of legislation that enabled deunionization on a really radical scale. It was replaced with what we were then to learn the hard way was a softer but more effective way to strangle workers' wages and conditions and to do so without much of a whimper from the labour movement. The Fair Work Act was, and still is effectively, was so effective with what it did that the Conservative government that took over in 2013 to 2022 barely changed a thing in the laws. The Fair Work Act was, or is, an incredible, it was absolutely incredible in terms of undermining workers' power in the workplace, undermining industrial action, and sabotaging negotiations that enabled employers to come up with absolute BS positions about productivity in EBA negotiations. That at where they made cutting conditions say, the, the key part of trying to win a pay rise, it completely enabled this sort of accepting this idea that to get that pay rise, a below inflation pay rise, many most of the time, you had to give up certain things and um, your conditions in your enterprise agreements. What it also did is it isolated and atomized workers in whole industries, particularly industries mostly dominated by what they often sometimes call a feminated, feminized workforce. People who are in small employed by small business or in small operations in the same industry. It it, um, isolated and atomized them from getting fair pay and improved conditions. That includes everything from early education, aged care, disability care in retail and hospitality, sectors employing millions of working class women. Industrial action was also insulated at enterprise bargaining time. What it meant was that there was limitations that undermined the effective action that could be taken by workers. A lot of notice had to be provided. You needed to conduct postal ballots in order to actually carry out and vote on industrial action. It made all sorts of life very difficult and very bureaucratic for unions to actually take industrial action, even during enterprise bargaining period. It made strike actions or industrial bans to save jobs from cutbacks, and solidarity with action with other workers from the same industry or um, other workers just in general, illegal. At the time, uh, well, at the time and then in due course, employers simply worked out that they didn't even need to bother with negotiations. Private sector employers covered by EBAs, by enterprise bargaining agreements, halved between 2013 to 2022 to a pathetic 11% of the workforce in Australia. Giant employers like Coles um, successfully fought off EBA negotiations for over three years. And what does that mean? That meant, and let's say, an employer of around 100,000 people, uh, the workers, the unions, the retail and fast food workers union, who were trying to use the Fair Work Act laws to force the employer negotiated, needed to secure the signatures of half the workforce in order for negotiations to happen. And disgusting that these laws enable that sort of getting away with it. So some uh, many, women, many women working in retail, for example, saw absolutely pathetic wage rises over a number series of years, not to mention wage theft and all the other problems which are well documented and um, have been gone after by many commentators uh, in recent years. Meanwhile, with the introduction of the Fair Work Act in the federal public service, we saw it used 
The Fair Act Act was used in conjunction with a really rotten Australian Public Service Act to strangle wages and cut conditions for decades. The legacy of the Rudd-Gillard government in negotiations was pathetic at the time because it basically it started well, uh, but then they refused to do things like fix up pay parity uh, across the service. They continued the process of outsourcing jobs to, um, uh, to the private sector, but also accepted uh, as time went on this idea that conditions needed to be cut in order for wage rises to happen. And that continued on under the Conservative Abbott government and then Morrison, etc. From, from then onwards. Union membership never recovered from Gillard's industrial relations laws. And things were just awful, if you can remember that time or aren't aware of it, in terms of human rights, going backwards on human rights by uh, her leadership. Gillard turned her back on refugee rights in a completely failed effort to neuter dog whistlers in the right of Australian politics, while cynically backing a minority views in the ALP to oppose marriage equality. These things are well documented. She was not on the progressive side or on the right side of history on really basic fundamental things. And we are seeing this is still played out today in terms of the unfinished business of how asylum seekers and refugees are treated in Australia and how we're seeing things being um, copied and pasted over in the United States or in the United Kingdom. Great legacy. But for me, like it was the icing on the cake in terms of the legacy of this time was the single, single parents in particular, the uh, majority of which are, who are women working part-time, who saw real cuts to their weight, their, to their income during that period. Let's be clear, though, Gillard defends a record. I got to ask her about extending the right to strike in the Fair Work Act in 2011. I use the example of layoffs, uh, the example of uh, a business that decides to cut jobs and that unions would no longer be allowed to take industrial action. The response was effectively, go to Centrelink. That was the response. Could you not? Dead set. You can look it up. I'll provide a link in terms of um, some. They didn't really quote me much at the time, but it was taken up by the Fairfax Media at the time. I also uh, was able to point out that uh, industrial action taken by unions to help free Nelson Mandela uh, in support of uh, getting rid of apartheid, in support of democracy in Indonesia and East Timor. All these things are effectively codified as illegal under the Fair Work Act. So... Uh, when it came to about being um, asked about impoverishing single parents, Gillard's response was, and um, you can look this up or provide the quote, was effectively, get a job, and talking about the dignity of work. And let's not forget all the noise about the value of education for young people. Gillard has dined out for many, many years about how strong uh, Australia's education system was, being a migrant that came out from Wales. Uh, and being involved since uh, leaving politics and organisations that apparently are, are interested in, in um, promoting education. What do we get? So what do we, we? what's the legacy today? If you check your notes, they really did not benefit from this period at all. The deregulation of universities and, uh, and, and of the training sector accelerated. HECS didn't change. It just continued. Anti-activism laws continued. They continued the, the um, anti-student union laws. Uh, the only key difference was, as they said, sure, you can have some activities, but it was up to um, the university's own 
decision making, like <laughs> stacking it so uh, students couldn't actually have control of their own funds for services and amenities and to go and pursue um, and be self-empowered in terms of representing their own interests. No, they didn't change at all, despite the promises that were made. Meanwhile, in schools, under Gillard's leadership, they copied and pasted the failed standardised testing from the United Kingdom. Uh, it was introduced. Now, you might be familiar with the name because it happens every year. It's called NAPLAM or NAPALM, as any teacher will tell you. Uh, and it has been become synonymous with a very flawed way in which to judge schools and has created all sorts of problems. But that's for another show, and that's for something to um, talk with uh, members of the Australian Education Union about, and um, big tip of the hat to them. The legacy of Gillard for the Liberals in the Australian Labor Party, in the Greens, in legacy media, the academy, and in business, is that of a strong woman, a feminist hero-doer. There's no doubting the importance of that speech, the, the misogyny of speech. And for many, and um, we absolutely stand in opposition to sexism and misogyny. But we need to have a broader look at the legacy of Gillard um, than the universe inhabited by uncritical rewriters of history. I'll give you an idea of just some of the fluffy stuff that you get to sort of see these days. Then uh, you might be able to understand some of my frustration with the coverage. This was really weird, and it was in an article in the conversation. And what we got at the end was this really interesting. I thought it was quite telling about the writer and a political point of view, and about the audience for this type of feminism, if you like. Well, it's just liberalism. Yeah. So. It talks about, you know, her career. It was uh, how Julia Gillard forever changed Australian politics, especially for women. Yeah, it says here, her career continues to resonate with people, particularly women. This was recently seen when she received a, received a handwritten note from a stranger in a flight. Okay, a flight, people. Which thanked her for being such a strong, intelligent and unapologetic role model for myself and so many of my peers. The note added that the author and her female colleagues used the phrase... WWJD, or what would Julia do? As the woman explained, it's our rallying cry to be absolute, the, to be the absolute best at our jobs. Now, I'm taking back to original points. They're not talking about ordinary working class women. They're talking about something else and a whole different set of people altogether. But what have we got? So, what we really got was a successful neoliberal prime minister un under her leadership. Probably not the most successful neoliberal prime minister because she managed to leave her leadership in quick quick time and be re-replaced by Kevin Rudd. She neutered political self-empowerment of working people through their unions. We continue to have that. We, the legacy of the Fair Work Act is not over. It's still unfinished business, although some positive change. She's kept our country's disgraceful um, she kept our country's disgraceful refugee policies enacted, including basically enabling all the racists out there to continue their rubbish and the absolute waste, the billions of dollars that went on and on, the hundreds of millions over decades now of either uh, detaining people without trial in camps in the middle of nowhere or then having the wonderful idea of outsourcing it to our poor neighbours to somehow uh, provide the processing centres for um, for communities, for countries that don't have the infrastructure or the ability to uh, look after people seeking asylum. She 
enabled further discrimination to continue against the uh, LGBTQI community and hurt the financial well-being of tens of thousands of vulnerable people, single parents. She also changed nothing for young people. Absolutely nothing. So it's totally fine not to like Julia Gillard. The thing is, this is all about political choice. Gillard's leadership and Rudd's leadership, they led governments that made choices that continued the neoliberal project. They laid the framework and the ground for when the conservatives, the liberal national parties, took power to continue to make things worse for working people. We had a slight pause and then they continued to make it bad and bad. And we're still living with the repercussions of that neoliberal consensus. To put it in perspective, and this is a quote from an excellent book that's come out recently, the Productivity Commission found that the rate of income profit property, poverty, defined as those earning 50% of the medium income, remained at 9% of all Australians over the period 1988 to 89 through to 2015-16, despite 27 years of uninterrupted economic growth. The Australian Council of Social Services, which uses a measure of income poverty after housing costs have been deducted, found that there were more people living in poverty, uh, on the, living in below the poverty line in 2018-19 at 13.4% than 20 years ago in 1999 at 13.1%. That was when John Howard was in government in 1999. To give you the picture there, of how things did not change and they laid those foundations for things to continue to get worse. So yes, I don't like Julia Gillard. I don't like Rudd either as well. And the reason why I don't like them is basically um, founded on the science and the fact that things got worse for working people, the poor, the marginalised, etc. You could go on and on. And it is disgraceful that the centrists or the liberals across the progressive movements would have us believe some kind of bizarre mythology of an incredible legacy. There may well have been a good legacy about fighting sexism, but if you're not fighting the root causes of disadvantage and oppression of working women as workers, as people who are poor, as people who should have a right and be enabled to actually empower themselves, then your legacy is crap. And that's it. Don't have to like her. If you want to read something that's really quite inspirational, though, uh, that period of time there, it's kind of skimmed over but not mentioned uh, too much by name. I highly recommend, and we'll probably try to um, talk more about this in a future episode, uh, Jen Eft by Alison Pennington, which has just come out. It's a crikey read. Look for it at good bookstores around town uh, and all around the place. And it was um, fantastic to see uh, Alison Pennington speak at her book launch recently at DANU. So get out and check that out because some fantastic stats. And I think for me, it really starkly reminded me of the one hand that people would like to forget what the legacy was of the last Labor government and conveniently put it all on the last Morrison Conservative government and make excuses like there really, really needs to be more done and more done better. Well, that's it from me for this episode. Uh, I guess in terms of what we'd encourage you to do, 
Be active in your union. Not just join one, be active. Be active in your union and make your officials accountable. Be part of it. And by being part, it's yours, not theirs. Uh, also be active and empower, empower yourself in political parties. It's really easy to do. It doesn't really take much action to be involved in a political party. You could also support some various campaigns that are going on. The Australian Unemployed Workers Union has got a campaign to end privatised job services. They're um, coordinating submissions into... Uh, there's an inquiry into the, the um, bah, corrupt job network um, sort of thing that we currently live with, uh, where billions is being made by grifters uh, for services that really should just not be have a dollar figure on it. It should be there provided uh, to provide support and help people into jobs rather than treating as a a profit um, piece of profit for themselves. The other thing you can do is get behind education unions campaigns that are going on at the moment. There's a whole lot of inter in enterprise bargaining campaigns happening. Uh, lots of industrial happens at the universities. And I support the camp um, campaigns and the unions in the education sector are campaigning to get rid of NAPALM or NAPLAN and for a fair access to higher education. But an easy one is also just to be out there and challenge people that you speak to who present rosy pictures about those who've been in power or who are in power now. We should always take the good with the bad and always be critical in our who we support. Nothing should be given just because they're supposedly better than us. They aren't. They're human. And they also are part of political machines and classes, which we um, all get to have a say in. They are not the fountains of all knowledge or all power. Well, that's it for the episode. Uh, we'll have more coming up on Dole Capital in coming episodes and hopefully we'll get to speak to Jacob and some, we've got some exciting guests planned for next month. If you like this pro podcast, um, get behind us. You can like, share, subscribe and why not become a financial backer by visiting our Patreon. That's patreon.com forward slash Dole Capital. Um, we're also uh, active on Facebook and on Twitter at the handle at Dole Capital. That's D-O-H-K-P-A-I-T-A-L. Or email the same address at dolecapital at gmail.com. You've been with Ben for Beno's Brief on Dole Capital. Keep on keeping on.